0: And the title of this morning's message is, Are You Ready for God's Will? You know, as I was um, sitting there, or standing there, uh, worshiping the Lord, I was reminded of something, and that is um, how it is, what it is that, um, that really motivated Paul to persevere the way he did. And, uh, and we can go back and basically see in Acts chapter 9 why it is that the Apostle Paul loves the Lord as much as he does. Because up to that point, he was a very religious man. He was a man who went through the motions, who had a deep respect for God and even would say if you asked him that he loved God. And he did, but he just didn't understand how to love God in a personal relationship with him. He didn't understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the one who was prophesied about by the prophets of old. And, uh, and he didn't know how to worship the Lord, recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. In fact, he was going to Damascus to persecute those of the way. It was on that road that he he was confronted by Jesus Christ himself. And he came to understand what it meant to have a relationship with the Father through the Son. And so we love because we have first been loved. The whole reason that we are here, hopefully this morning, is because we have a deep love for the Lord because of the grace that he has demonstrated to us through his son, Jesus Christ. By the laying down of Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his blood. So just to give you a little background, the the whole reason why the motive, the the intentions of, of the Apostle Paul and what it was that really drove him to stay steadfast in the Lord. It wasn't anything. It wasn't to appear religious. It wasn't for any other reason. But simply because he had finally come to know truly the love of God through Jesus Christ. So the title of this morning's message is, Are You Ready for God's Will?, Let's begin by reading in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, and when he had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to cause and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. Father, we want to commit our time into your hands, Lord, asking for your blessing, that you would give us understanding. I pray, Father, that we too would be encouraged this morning by just how resolute Paul was in fulfilling your will, even when he was challenged and maybe even tempted by those who love you and those who loved him so much. That they didn't want to see him suffer and go through the trials that were before him. I pray, Lord, that we, we would be a people who demonstrate our faith to you. For that is the only thing that really pleases you, according to Hebrews 11.6. And so, Father, again, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. amen. All right, so... Have you ever had something happen to you that you weren't quite ready for? Something you weren't expecting or something that was perhaps overwhelming? You know, there's uh, plenty of roller coaster videos of people who are being slung into the air by a couple rubber bands. You know, so it just it seems that way. Right. And uh, in. In. In the people, normally there's one person who is just all gung ho and ready to go, and the other person is just not ready, right? There, in fact, there was one video to where there was a, a boyfriend and girlfriend, and they were riding this roller coaster, and he was obviously deathly afraid of roller coasters. But somehow, she—I don't know if you've seen this video—she got him, uh, she convinced him to to ride the roller coaster, and in the middle of that roller coaster ride. He broke up with her. He said, You always make me do things I don't want to do. (laughs) That's just marriage, you know? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, really. (laughs) Pray for me. But we have these videos like I'm not ready right and and uh we have these videos they're they're funny, uh maybe I have just a bad sense of humor, and I like watching these videos and seeing people suffer you know but there are things that surprise you because you're just not ready for them. Can you imagine if you were told what you would experience in the future and it wasn't something that you would normally? Welcome, something that was favorable. It was unwelcome, it was unfavorable. It was something, in fact, very painful. Like, I'd rather be spared of that future, this notification presently for something that was going to happen in the future. Please spare me that prophecy. Well, the Apostle Paul had this in common with Jesus Christ. That is, he knew and he was told ahead of time that he would endure suffering. Specifically, imprisonment and and afflictions. He He was told these things. You are going to encounter imprisonments and afflictions in the future. All right. How would we respond to that? In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, But the Lord said to him, Go, this is to Ananias. This is because Ananias was afraid of telling of going to the Apostle Paul, or Paul at that point, Saul of Tarsus, as he knew him. He was afraid to go to him, but the Lord, he brought him comfort by telling him this very thing. So Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul proved by how he handled himself through these difficult events that he was ready for the difficult moments. Because he knew his purpose and he knew very clearly the Lord's will and what glorified the Lord and the hope that he presently possessed and was his for all eternity. He was ready for God's will. This morning we'll learn about the final portion of Paul's third missionary trip and how there was a struggle within the church to accept and encourage God's will for Paul. What I want us to see clearly is Paul's acceptance. His acceptance and his tenacity within the Lord's clear will for him to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. For the simple express purpose of declaring God's love, his grace, as he communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who were willing to listen to him. And this was all leading into this one place where he was going to be imprisoned and afflicted. A person will reveal whether they are ready for God's will or not by how they respond in times of suffering, during times of trials and testing, temptations and tribulations. You know, in my life, I've seen that to be true. When everything is fine, Things are moving along. We can come into this routine of worshiping the Lord, of coming and serving him, of serving him throughout the community or in our home. But the moment we're challenged, the moment we're giving something extremely difficult, it really proves whether our faith is strong or it is weak, whether we'll continue on with the Lord or we'll forsake him. How can you be ready for God's will? Number one, know and believe God's will over everyone else's. Number two, choose and commit to God's will over everyone else's. And number three, act on God's will over everyone else's, including over your own personal desires if they are contrary. To God's Romans twelve two says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So again, let's start from the top in verse 1, you know, as we take a look at and hopefully be encouraged on how to be ready for God's will, as we see Paul in this first chapter, in these first 16 verses that we'll be going over this morning. Again, verse 1, we see Paul's voyage from Miletus to Tyre. Verse 1, and when we had departed or parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to cause and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. So we see, again, Paul's voyage from Tyre to, or Miletus to Tyre. Luke continues to describe the route that Paul and company took on the way back to Syria, landing in Tyre. Basically, what we would know today to be a coastal city of Israel, just north of Caesarea. While they sailed along the coast of Asia and Lycia, Paul was on smaller vessels. So as they went from town to town, they went from one to the next and stayed overnight. And then they boarded another ship and they went to the next one. And that's how they went up until they came across, or they were going to sail across the open sea, uh, sailing south of Cyprus and then across the Mediterranean to Tyre, again, just north of Caesarea. What is most significant about this description is not so much the voyage as was the actual departure from the church leaders of Ephesus. It was that little mention at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1, and when he had parted from them. You know, we can just skim right through that and, and know that he had went His separate way from the leadership of Ephesus, the the bishops, you could say, and the deacons, the, the church leaders of Ephesus. Because it's simply described as parting from them. Parted from them, set sail. But we need to understand it was a difficult parting. As we see from the previous few verses that they had knelt down, they prayed together, and they hugged, and they kissed. It was just a difficult parting from them. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 20 says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. They were most sorrowful having, after having been warned, receiving instruction, being warned of how it was that wolves in sheep's clothing are going to come in to the church. And so be careful, be aware, be mindful of that and fight against it. They were most sorrowful, though, because they knew that they would not see Paul again. Of course, they accompanied Paul to the ship. They walked with him. In fact, this... Quote-unquote parting is better defined and perhaps better understood by describing it as a, a tearing apart, a, a, a rending. Paul had loved them. He had spent several years with them. All the disciples there in Ephesus, He he loved them deeply. And for him, it was not easy leaving them. But at the same time, the Lord was calling Paul away. He was calling them to continue doing the work that the Lord had before him. You see, when you love someone, it's like tearing apart. The tearing apart of your very soul when you go in two different directions. You can describe it as gut-wrenching even, especially when you know it will be for a long time or when you know you will never see them again, not in this lifetime. Just yesterday I was called to another situation, and as most of you know, I'm also a chaplain for Kaiser, and this happens on a weekly basis to where uh, people are going on comfort care or they don't have much time to live, they're... And uh, this husband was saying his goodbyes to his wife, and he and their children, their son and daughter, were bedside, and they knew they weren't going to see mom for for long. This was it. It's just truly a truly a tearing of the very soul their hearts. It's it's just heartbreaking. You know why it's like that? God did not intend for it to be like that. It's because of sin. Death and disease entered humanity. And that's why there's a need for a Savior, Jesus Christ, as He came. He died on the cross. He shed His blood for you and I. That through the shedding of blood, there'd be forgiveness of our sins. Because that's not how the Lord originally designed us to have a relationship with Him. But through sin, death and disease entered humanity. And yet through Jesus Christ, we're reconciled to the Father through Him. That's why the the greatest the most important thing that you can take care of in this life is not your finances, not to increase your wealth monetarily or with things or anything like that, Believe it or not, it's not even to have a family that is just together or large or anything like that. It's, it's what is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he truly your Lord and your Savior? That's what's most important. That's exactly the mission that Paul was on, to make sure that he declared to anyone and everyone who would bend an ear to him, To declare to them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That was it. Paul had a special relationship with the church in Ephesus, and especially the leadership of the church in Ephesus. And this was absolutely a tearing apart between them two. Perhaps I thought this was part of the reason why Paul did not go directly to Ephesus. He knew that it would be especially difficult to to leave, but instead he called the leadership to meet him in another city, in Miletus, south of the city of Ephesus. And although it was difficult, Paul continued his journey back to Jerusalem and left Miletus. There's more work to do, and now we find Paul in in Tyre. Verse 4 says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days and Through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. So, Paul is told not to continue to Jerusalem. When Paul arrived in Tyre, where the cargo was being unloaded, Paul looked for the the local Christian community, knowing there was one there. He looked for the the, the brothers and sisters there. Now, the word that is used there for looking for meant that he wasn't familiar with them. These weren't uh, Christians that he knew personally, but yet he was looking for the Christian community. It's pretty interesting how you can you can uh, run into brothers and sisters in Christ. In, in other parts of the world, and immediately when you get to know them and understand that they're brothers or sisters in Christ, it's like there's an immediate connection and this brotherhood that's, that you have Jesus in common with them, and, uh, and you're brought into the community. I, I can give examples in Haiti and Mexico and just all kinds of different places around the world. I remember being on board ship and, and getting to know a small community of believers, and, and, uh, and immediately having Jesus in common, we were able to study the Bible together and just enjoy some fellowship. We'll forgive them. <laughs> So this is what the Apostle Paul did. He was was looking for this Christian community. Wasn't familiar with them. And more than likely, this Christian community actually had been established by the Hellenist mission to Phoenicia. You know, as we studied back in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. You know, what's interesting is that here Paul is looking for the very people that were one to Christ because of his, his, his persecution of the Christians prior to coming to Christ himself. In fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Again, this is something that the Apostle Paul always kept in the back of his mind, knowing that this was him prior to coming to Christ. In, in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is something that Paul had actually witnessed and experienced firsthand with Stephen. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So again, it was because of Paul's doing before his conversion that there was even a church in Tyre. And so he sought the very community that at one point he persecuted and brought in chains to Jerusalem. Oh, the things that the Lord can do to turn around a heart and use that person for the glory of God. The one that just before was opposed to God and persecuting the people of God. Well, Paul spent seven days with these brothers and sisters in Christ in Tyre, And during this time, there was something significant that happened. It's described here is a, of, of a work that is done, that was done through the Spirit. <laughs> because through the Spirit, the disciples, there told Paul, do not go on to Jerusalem. It, again, just something else that it's not given much attention, only mentioned that this was what happened there. But this is not a lightly voiced concern. It's like me telling you something. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. Again, if we go back to the original language, we understand that this was more than just, uh, just a mention, kind of a passing comment. I, just, I, I, I hope you don't go. These were people that cared for Paul. These were Christians, fellow brothers and sisters, servants of the Lord with Paul. This wasn't just in passing. In fact, this was, you could say, uh, the the way it said is, they ordered Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Stop. Stop right here, Paul. Do not go on to Jerusalem. With the exception of one commentator that I read, most say that Paul's imprisonment and suffering was simply being made known by the Spirit to the Apostle Paul, to warn Paul of what was coming. But it wasn't for the purpose of stopping him. Rather, it was to further prepare him and test him to see whether he would continue or stop. It was Ray Steadman, a commentator who believes that Paul didn't have to go to Jerusalem to go to Rome, that he could have avoided prison there, that he simply paid attention to the warnings and taken a different route. And so he, 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 what he believes is that perhaps Paul made a mistake. We know that Paul is a man, and he can sin, and he can fall short, in all of those things. But we also know that the Lord was very clear that he would suffer for the name of the Lord. He would be imprisoned for the name of the Lord. These things we know to be true. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 23, it says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Paul, knowing full well what was happening, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So for the Apostle Paul, it was enough to hear from the Lord. That was it. I'm done. I'm setting my face toward Jerusalem. Come what may, and I will get there. Why? Because the Lord has given me my marching orders. And what anyone else says along the way really is of no real true value as far as that course is concerned. I need to go. I need to fulfill this order from my Lord, my King. Paul knew, and this was not the only time he was told. He just kept being told what was coming, what was before him. Paul was ready for God's will, and he spent a week there. And then he left for Caesarea, spending some time in prayer on the beach with all the families prior to leaving. But this is the thing that I want us to understand, is that we have sometimes around us those who mean well. I don't want you to have to go through that, to suffer, to, to deal with these afflictions. And, and so take the easy route. Take this other route. Sometimes the difficult route is not the, the, the right one. The, the, I mean, the difficult route is the right one. Sometimes the easy route is not the right one. That's just the way it is. Because Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That means you're denying your own will, what you want to do, right? Picking up your cross, dying to self. Understanding that we're crucified with the Lord. And as we've been resurrected to new life, we walk with him, we follow him. That means we yield to him. There's a difference between honoring or respecting God, knowing who he is, and yielding to him, and being governed by him. There's quite a big difference. Those are actually in contrast, and it doesn't make sense when they're not together. To honor and respect and fear God is to obey God. They all come together. You need to yield and be governed by him as well. That means when your will is opposed to God's will, let me put it to you in in different terms. When what you want to do is opposed to God's word, guess which one should win? God's word. And so what we see here is people who loved the Apostle Paul, and they were urging him not to go on. And he said, thank you, I appreciate your love, but I must go on. And after a week of spending time with them there, they went to the beach before he boarded the ship and went on to Caesarea. They prayed, and they gathered together, and they said their goodbyes. So verse 7 is Paul's voyage from Tyre to Caesarea. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's voyage. Oh, and just encounter there with Agabus. And we see there Philip and his daughters. Philip was one of the original seven deacons that is noted in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Philip, we know to be a man of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he possessed godly wisdom, and he had these four single daughters who prophesied. Uh, Single men, this is the type of woman you're looking for. A woman who is completely just in love with Jesus and knows his word so much so, that they can that they can explain it, that they can live by it, you know you want someone that will encourage you in the Lord that will build you up in the Lord and sometimes challenge you in the Lord right? Philip also was described as an evangelist, you know initially back in chapter six he was just he was he was a deacon you know he was a man full of wisdom and and discernment and he was a man just that was uh, had a good reputation. You know, but, but here's a man that is described as, as, as an evangelist, a man who was gifted by the Spirit in leading people to Christ. And he had these four daughters who were learned in the Word. It was knew the Word inside and out. Now, it was a wonderful home. And although this was the home Paul stayed in while in Caesarea, the family wasn't the focus. We could spend some time going over that, but this wasn't the focus. It was just a wonderful home to be in. Just noting Philip and how he had continued in serving the Lord, even from Acts chapter 6 all the way up to this point. But rather, there was this prophet named Agabus in what he did. In dramatic fashion, Agabus takes Paul's belt and somehow ties his hands and feet together. You know, hog ties himself. That'd be very difficult to do. You know, but I think he basically maybe bound himself in the front because uh, I don't see how you how you could do that with hands and feet behind your back. That would be kind of hard, wouldn't it be, Troy? <laughs> It'd be very difficult. I'd be impressed if he could do something like that. But anyway, Agabus does this, though. He takes the belt and he, and he ties his hands and his feet together and then says that the Holy Spirit has stated that whoever owns this belt will be bound like this in Jerusalem by the Jews. Whoever owns this belt. Well, of course, and he had come down from Judea. When Luke and the rest of the disciples heard this and saw this, it was just further evidence. This is is exactly what we've been warning you is going to happen in Jerusalem. And for them they urged Paul not to continue his journey to Jerusalem. So back in Tyre and now in Caesarea. But for Paul, this news was nothing new. It didn't matter how it was told or how it was shown to him, implicitly or explicitly, in a boring matter-of-fact kind of a way or in a theatrical manner. It really didn't matter to him. This was nothing new to him. No matter how you put it, this is all the same to Paul. He's been having the Lord tell him this in city after city after city. And guess what? He had his face still set for Jerusalem. He was still going to get there. I can just imagine Paul standing there as Agabus is doing this, tying himself up. And after saying what he said, just, I know. I know that to be true. But then the disciples turned to him. Urging Paul, trying to persuade him, strongly encouraging Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Sounds like a wise thing, right? If there awaits you affliction and imprisonment, by all means, avoid that, Paul, right? It seems reasonable. And yet it wasn't the Lord's will. This was now the third recorded incident of warning. Macedonia, Tyre, and now here in Caesarea. But notice Paul's response. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? He doesn't rebuke them sharply. He understands them. He addresses them in a compassionate yet firm manner. Being resolute and following through with God's will. I'm sure that Paul appreciates their love for him. And their urging and weeping only serves to break his own heart. Like a child or a spouse who's weeping with a broken heart. Oh, it just melts your heart, doesn't it? I remember a time when my grandfather, my cousin Yurika and I, we had spent some time with him, a couple weeks. Um, he had a home in Santa Barbara and just loved spending some time uh during our summer break with him. And this one time, the last time that we went and spent a couple weeks with him, um, he saw us off to the Greyhound Bus Depot and he was going to bus us back off to Riverside. And, uh, and we were looking out the window. And as, as we were waving, you could see him crying. Wow. You know, I, I hadn't seen him cry Ever before he's always a, just a very strong man in that sense, you could say, and, and he never cried. But it was that moment to I, I think now I now I look at my grandchildren. Now I look at my kids and I understand. You know, like just that, that parting of ways, you know, that it, it's because of our love for one another. That that's what breaks our heart. We got to spend time away from each other. But even through all of this, even though he was being broken in his heart, he wasn't going to change his mind of whether he would follow through with what the Lord had for him to do or not do. They were weeping and urging him not to go, but he was set on fulfilling God's will. He knew and believed God's will over others, chose and committed to God's will over others. And Paul was acting on God's will over everyone else's, all the while being compassionate and loving toward the other disciples. Paul was ready to do the Lord's will no matter what. And then verse 14, as we continue, says, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So they gave up. <laughs> well, since we can't convince Paul to not go to Jerusalem, they simply threw up their hands and said, Lord, the Lord's will be done. That's it. They set off to Jerusalem and came to the house of Nason in Cyprus, and we'll continue next week as far as the rest is concerned, and what happened to him there in Jerusalem. But I want to spend just a little time um, in in closing, as we are, we're starting to land here. Just uh, how to prepare for God's will in our own lives. Again, know and believe God's will. Choose and commit to God's will. And number three, act on God's will. Knowing and believing God's will, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In Romans chapter 12, Verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So know and believe God's will. Secondly, choose and commit to God's will. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight Of shedding your blood. Choose and commit to God's will, Jesus being our perfect example. So know and believe God's will, choose and commit to God's will, and thirdly, act on God's will. In John chapter fourteen, verse twelve. Says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then, verse one of, or I mean, uh, verse uh, fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep. My commandments in in verse in chapter 15, verse seven. Jesus speaking, says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We need to act on God's will, not just believe in God's will, commit to God's will, but it ought to be expressed. Faith without works is dead. When you are ready for God's will, you will be able to say, as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever that may be, Lord, your will be done. Only let us find strength in you. And let us be led by your spirit to bring you glory. Lastly, a quote from David Wilkerson. Quote, our faith is not meant to get us out of a hard place or change our painful condition. Rather it is meant to reveal God's faithfulness to us in the midst of our dire situation. Close quote. Father, we are encouraged by what we learned this morning, what we just covered, in how it was that even though people mean well around us or desiring for us as your followers to not experience trials and tribulations if we just take the perhaps the easier road. Lord, we are to be faithful to you, loyal to you. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each and every one of us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Remind us of your word. Help us to fulfill whatever it is that you have for us to fulfill according to your word, to your glory. I do pray, Lord, for anyone who is in compromise here, that they would repent of their sins, for your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, you are faithful to do that. There's no pit that we can go deep enough into, Lord, that your hand of forgiveness cannot reach in and pluck us out of. Your grace is sufficient. But I pray, Lord, that we would not be fooled, deceived into believing that we've done too much and we've gone too far. Lord, help us to be humble and to be yielding to you. Help us, Lord, to confess our sins to you and repent of our sins and walk with you. I pray, Lord, a blessing upon refuge in each and every person here and those of us who are perhaps watching and listening online. I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, strengthen us for the days are difficult. The paths, Lord, could be deceiving. I pray, Lord, that we would continue reading your word, studying your word, and applying it, Lord, being discerning of false voices, and be steadfast in the one voice of our shepherd, Jesus Christ, and follow him. We thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.